I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. Yesterday on the show, we discussed Abbott Labs' rapid results COVID-19 test that some are considering to be a game changer. The North Chicago company, however, almost missed the shot. We'll talk about that and other stories coming up on the podcast today. But first, this word from our sponsor. At Salo, we connect talent with companies to solve today's business challenges. We partner with exceptionally skilled and seasoned leaders in human resources, finance, and accounting. Right now, we're looking for game-changing talent in human resources, the kind of leaders who find purpose and inspiration in growing businesses. If you want choice and control in the work you do, evolve your career as a Salo HR consultant. We'll help you keep your sharp edge because a dull career is not an option. Visit hellosalo.com to learn more. We're Salo. Let's get solving. Earlier today, I spoke with Crane senior reporter Steve Daniels about the economic issues and concerns he'll be watching on his financial beat in the coming days. Here's our conversation. Later this week, we're going to get another glimpse at uh, unemployment figures for the month of March, which will not fully capture the devastation that's already occurred in terms of job losses. You know, the the calendar turns today, April 1st, which means that um, a whole lot of bills come due, the main ones being mortgages and rent. And, you know, we're going to get a better sense when companies report, banks, mortgage companies, et cetera, how many of their customers are able to pay and how many are not, you know, later in the month when they report their earnings and update their investors. That obviously is a crucial figure just to get a sense of just how devastating all of this has been economically. You know, people are supposed to be getting $1,200 checks. It's unclear. The government, federal government seems to be struggling a little bit with the mechanism for delivering that money. So when exactly people actually get in, in their bank accounts or checks in their hands is a little unclear. And obviously, whether it's sufficient to really pay people's bills is also unclear. So, you know, you're seeing landlords telling their renters, hey, uh, we understand if you've lost your job, we can work out a payment plan. We can do a lot of different things. But then you've seen some efforts at organizing tenants for rent strikes and the like, too. It's unclear how successful and widely successful those have been. But I, I would suspect that as this drags on and depending on how landlords react, that um, those efforts could gain steam, say, a month from now. So all of that are things to, to pay attention to and to watch as this goes on. And I realize a lot of that is a wait and see. You have to have the data in front of you before you can really start reading the tea leaves. But what is your sense of how, how really just how bad we're looking at, how bad we're talking about? It's bad. I mean, you're seeing companies do mass layoffs now. I mean, a lot of retailers, Macy's and others furloughing workers. Some of them are preserving those workers' health benefits which is critical, obviously, when health is of the foremost concern. There's a lot of confusion. And, you know, that's all understandable given how fast all of this happened. But, you know, the $2 trillion rescue package that the president signed recently, I think it's becoming clearer that that may not hit all of its marks. And again, it's understandable that it wouldn't. It was hastily put together by necessity. It's basically creating several buckets of money to be put forward to to both individuals and companies and governments in terms of just being able to do the bare minimum to handle the crisis at hand. But just by definition, that money isn't going to all hit its mark. And there are going to be a very large pockets of people who are jobless, who do not have income coming in, who 
can't pay their bills, you're going to have, you know, you do have obviously policies in terms of you're not going to get reported to a credit agency or, or such for 60, 90 days. But this is a, this is an economic issue that's going to go well beyond 60, 90 days and is going to require more nimble policymaking than we've seen to this point. So you add to the fear that people have over getting this terrible virus, the fear of their economic situations as well. It's just very fraught in a time of high anxiety. And I'm not sure even today that both the political leaders and the markets are fully appreciating the extent of it. So let's talk about those markets. They've been so volatile since this started and and moving very quickly in one direction or another. What is your assessment of, of how it's been just over the last week? Well, over the last week, it was very positive. Last week, it was very positive as Washington was getting its act together and as Democrats and Republicans were coalescing on, on the stimulus package, there was optimism clearly that that was going to stabilize things. Well, again, calendar turned today and the markets are down today. The president, for the first time yesterday, seemed to accept what everybody else had already accepted, which is that we're going to have hundreds of thousands, 100,000 to 240,000 people at best case who are going to die in this country because of this. The fact that President Trump, who has really been dismissive for large portions of the the last several weeks of, of the gravity of this, finally himself coming to terms with it, I think seems to have played into the negativity on Wall Street today. And as we speak, uh, the markets are down a little over 3%, uh, almost 4%. Um, We'll see where it ends up. But the other thing, too, is that we have only begun to see earnings uh, estimates recalibrated. And obviously, those are very rough recalibrations revised downward. The S&P is still valued at a very high multiple of those revised earnings, which would seem to indicate that the market has based in a relatively rapid recovery from what everybody understands and acknowledges will be a very deep recession. That is may very well be a miscalculation. And I think you're seeing more economists now come out and say this idea of a V-shaped recovery, meaning big drops quickly and then rapid recovery as things normalize, is probably not right. That it's going to be a much more gradual and bumpy recovery. You could well obviously see the virus recur again in the fall once gotten under control at some point in the summertime, hopefully that it is. Big wild card is what are the treatments that are going to be available when that happens in the fall? What's the status of the vaccine? All of those things are huge wild cards in this. But I think even with the very dramatic drops in in stock values that there's, I think, uh, still a legitimate reason to think that stocks are still overvalued, which is kind of scary. You, you touch on something is exact, that's exactly where I wanted to go next, and that is what recovery looks like. As you noted, some experts are saying this V-shaped recovery, and that seems a bit optimistic. I think a lot of people are also talking about a longer-term recovery. What are those elements going to be beyond the, the usual suspects? You know, we always look at, we look at jobs, we look at economy, we look at consumer spending. Beyond that, what does that economy look like, regardless of what shape it takes? Well, I think that people will start feeling like they have a little bit better grasp on this when they can start sorting out the winners and the losers in this. You know, which companies, which industries are going to come out of it quicker? Which ones are going to take longer? Um, Right now, it's really hard to get your arms around any of it so that, you know, 
most companies are perceived as losers. I saw an interesting chart yesterday, you know, the first quarter just ended, and there were something like 33 or so companies in the Standard & Poor's 500 that saw their stock prices go up in the first quarter. You know, there were things like, you know, Netflix and stuff like that that have done that, you you know, you would you would make sense to you that they would. Not a single one of those companies was based in the Chicago area. So, you know, right now, it's really hard to sort out. Everybody looks looks like a loser, but I think we know that not everyone is a loser, that, that there are going to be companies either that, that are smart and take advantage of the situation to, to produce products. And obviously, we saw Abbott Labs with this ballyhooed uh, task quick test for coronavirus in the news or to simply industries that come back fast. Ones that are going to come back slower are ones, you know, that, that are obvious like restaurants, entertainment, hotels. People are going to be frightened to be doing that even even when there's something of a of an all clear sounded by their government. That's just human nature. And then you do have the issue of how many people are immune to this after the first wave, how many are still can be afflicted what is the threat? All of those things are just not understood well at this stage. So, you know, I, I think right now it's really just a matter of getting people through this in their home safely. Make sure they get the food and medicine and other things that they need to weather the storm. And then sort of like a, after a tornado rips through your town and it's over, you come out and look at the damage and see, okay, where do we start to rebuild? Yeah, what are the first things to do? So I, I think we're in the point where the tornado's ripping through the town right now. What will you be watching most closely in the days and week ahead? Well, I do think that earnings is going to be huge. So we're going to come up on earnings season in a couple of weeks. Some companies have said a few things about how this is affecting them. Many of them have said nothing. All of them will have to say something. So we'll have a much better idea. They'll have to report. You know, on my side, I cover banks, I cover lenders. You know, we'll have a much better idea of how many of their of their customers are able to stay current on their loans or not. Most banks are offering their customers, either consumers or businesses, reprieves and say, hey, you can come to us and say, Hey, I have no revenue. I can't. I can't pay my loan. That's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, you you have a reprieve for ninety days or what have you. But they will, I think, have to tell their investors how many of those types of people there are. That will give us really some insight into just how difficult this is. And then, uh, you know, obviously all manner of, of economic uh, statistics that will come out from the government. You know, what is the pace of testing for the coronavirus? I think the voices that I've heard that are convincing say that, A, we need to get past the peak of the virus. You know, they talk about flattening the curve and all that so that our hospitals are not overwhelmed. Are we going to be successful doing that or not? And obviously that's a city by city, a state by state issue. That's one side. The other side is we need mass testing of the population who tests positive, whether they show symptoms or not, and uh, who tests positive. And that that's a necessary step before uh, reopening, quote-unquote, reopening the economy, too. So so what is the state of testing? Um, what's the technology? How far does this Abbott Labs test go? Or, or how how much of a, of a dent can that make in what we need to do in ter- terms of testing the population? It's really a, all manner of statistics as we sit here in our in our homes, you know, isolated from from each other, other than through technology and the like, that uh, we're, we're going to have to rely on to to get a sense of uh, just how deep all of this is going to go, and, and a better sense of 
how long it's going to take to recover. Indeed. Well, we will keep turning to you for the latest. Thanks so much, Steve. Thank you. Coming up, Cook County Health's decision to drop elective surgeries, which is their biggest revenue driver, will impact a system already under financial pressure. We'll talk more about that story and others right after this word from our sponsor. At Wintrust, there's no one-size-fits-all solution because there's no one-size-fits-all business. They come in different sizes, in different industries, and with different needs. You won't get cookie-cutter services based on your size. Wintrust provides personalized focus no matter what kind of business you run. Whether you're looking for deposit accounts, lending options, or treasury management solutions, Wintrust bankers are prepared to meet your business where you are and help you get where you want to be. Find out more at Wintrust.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lending. For a daily roundup of stories about how the coronavirus outbreak is affecting businesses and the economy, sign up for our free newsletter at chicagobusiness.com slash coronavirus update. That's all one word, coronavirus update. Also, the paywall has been dropped for all coronavirus stories at chicagobusiness.com, but we encourage you to consider subscribing to support our journalism. And if you receive cranes in print at the office and you're missing it while you're working from home, know that you can always access the electronic edition anytime at Chicago chicagobusiness.com slash digital edition. North Chicago-based Abbott Labs tried desperately to escape an acquisition that included the technology now winning raves for its super-fast coronavirus test. Abbott's new test is seen as a big step forward in efforts to contain the rapidly spreading infection, which has sickened hundreds of thousands and killed tens of thousands around the world. Hailed as a game-changer, the test will help ease a testing shortfall that has hampered the response to the crisis in the U.S. and elsewhere. Using Abbott's ID Now devices already installed in doctor's offices and other healthcare facilities, the new COVID-19 test delivers positive results within five minutes and negative readings within 13 without the need to send samples out to a lab. And Abbott says its system will rapidly accelerate testing volumes to as many as 50,000 a day, helping public health officials estimate the number of cases more accurately and fight the virus more effectively. But the thing is, Abbott wouldn't own ID now if it had succeeded in terminating a deal to buy the company that developed the technology. ID now used to be called Alare Eye after Alare Inc., a Massachusetts-based medical device manufacturer that accepted a $5.8 billion buyout offer from Abbott in early 2016. But soon after, Abbott got cold feet as problems in Alare's business surfaced. Product recalls, a loss of Medicare billing privileges for a key Alare business line, delays in filing the company's annual report, and investigations into its marketing and government billing practices soured Abbott on the acquisition. Allaire said Abbott's then-CEO, Miles White, offered $50 million to get out of the deal and threatened, quote, living hell if Allaire insisted on going forward. So they sued to force Abbott to honor the deal, and Abbott sued back, but then backed down before the trial, agreeing to proceed with the deal at a reduced price of $5.3 billion. The acquisition closed in 2017, and Allaire became part of Abbott's diagnostics business unit. Buying Allaire made Abbott a leading provider of so-called point-of-care testing products, a market segment that's growing rapidly as hospitals under pressure to cut costs push more activities to less expensive outpatient facilities and other settings. But does that mean Allaire turned out to be a home run for Abbott? Well, not necessarily. Abbott doesn't separately disclose financial results for the various business lines acquired in the deal. But at the very least, Abbott can count on a short-term sales windfall from its COVID-19 test. Over the long term, the pandemic may also accelerate the growth of point-of-care diagnostics by underscoring the value of rapid, easily accessible testing for infectious diseases. 
a suggestion from Governor Pritzker that the state may have to move toward a heavily or totally vote-by-mail system for the November election is showing some tension in Springfield. Pritzker's comment came right at the end of his press conference yesterday. The governor said given the uncertain future track of the COVID-19 pandemic and real fears among voters and poll workers about contagion, quote, we're going to have to look at the idea for the general election that will move all or substantially all voting from in-person polling places to mailboxes. The governor, who caught considerable heat for keeping the polls open for the March 17th primary election, didn't really elaborate beyond that. So Democrats, who had already been moving in that direction, immediately indicated general support, while Republican leaders who traditionally have been extremely focused on ballot security expressed skepticism. A spokesperson for Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan told Cranes, like the governor, the speaker supports vote by mail and continued, as conditions warrant, I'm sure he will support emphasizing that method in November. Senate President Don Harmon has traditionally supported mail balloting too, according to his spokesperson, who added that one member of Harmon's caucus, Senator Julie Morrison of Deerfield, has announced plans to introduce legislation on the matter as soon as the General Assembly reconvenes and bills can be formally submitted. However, House GOP leader Jim Durkin said in a statement, ballot access in Illinois has and will continue to be strong. There is no need to change this November's process. In a statement, Senate GOP leader Bill Brady said, there will be a time to discuss that in the future. Right now, our focus should remain on rebuilding our economy and containing the COVID-19 virus. Another prominent Republican, DuPage County Board Chairman Dan Cronin, said such a change could well help Democrats because elderly voters who tend to vote Republican are more comfortable with the current system. But he added, it may be necessary. Continuing, I think we have to prepare for the possibility that people's behavior is going to change. Caterpillar's CEO and other senior executives, management, and salaried workers will not get a base pay increase in 2020 as part of the company's efforts to cut costs during the coronavirus pandemic. They also won't receive the payout outlined under an annual incentive plan. The decision comes less than a week after the Deerfield-based machinery producer pulled its 2020 outlook and announced the suspension of some operations, saying it doesn't have clarity on how the pandemic will affect its business. Caterpillar earlier confirmed it laid off workers at its East Peoria building as part of its actions taken to reduce production due to weaker customer demand. Shares of the company rose 3.9% in New York after surging more than 10% last week, the biggest advance since November 2018 amid speculation that a government stimulus package would help bring stability to a market reeling from impact of the virus. And while the cut to pay is noteworthy, the company hasn't announced whether it will eliminate the dividend it pays to investors. Cook County Health, which provides more than half of the charity care in the county and is under scrutiny for late payments to doctors serving patients covered by its Medicaid plan, will face what County Board President Tony Preckwinkle called a profound impact on its bottom line from the coronavirus pandemic. Preckwinkle said Cook County is following CDC guidelines and not doing elective surgeries. As a result, inpatient cases are dropping by about half. That drop in elective surgeries, the largest moneymaker for the county system, will have a profound impact on the bottom line, according to Preckwinkle. Cook County Health's focus has been to provide care regardless of a patient's ability to pay, and interim Cook County Health CEO Deb Carey reiterated that that will continue. County officials didn't outline the total cost of the crisis to date, but said they're keeping track of lost anticipated revenue and ongoing COVID-related expenditures in hopes of federal reimbursement. While county officials say they do have capacity for an expected surge of cases in April and enough personal protective equipment for the time being, the situation, of course, is fluid. And health officials are facing a growing number of positive test results of detainees at the Cook County Jail. 
Until tomorrow, that's all for Crane's Daily Gist. Special thanks to producer Haima Black as well as to today's guest, Steve Daniels. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher and find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories most on your mind. Thanks so much for listening and I'll meet you right back here tomorrow.